0: The New Testament passage today comes from the book of Revelation. We don't talk about Revelation a lot in Presbyterian churches. The surreal images of this book are a little hard to figure out, and heaven knows we Presbyterians like to be able to figure things out. But this is the final book in the Bible. It was written by John of Patmos, during a time of political and spiritual upheaval for the ancient church. In recent years, our own Brian Blunt has done some fascinating and helpful study and teaching on this book of Revelation. And so before we hear the scripture, a few points I want to lift up. Revelation is an intense book. It is packed with vivid and visceral images. These images have been used throughout history and popular culture to depict the end of the world. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, the seven seals, the 144,000, all of these images come from the book of Revelation in our Bible. It is an intense book because the writer, John, is trying to make an impression. John is trying to shock his readers and his hearers. Particularly, he is trying to shock some of the wealthy churches in the region. These were churches who, excuse me, he believes had chosen (coughs) business with Rome rather than claiming their own religious identity. They were churches who were choosing to benefit from the Roman government rather than resist it. They were choosing apathy rather than agitation. John wants nothing to do with this. Revelation is a fierce, urgent book because John wants to scare the churches out of their complacency. He wants the churches to think about their witness, their legacy, how they are revealing the work of God in the world rather than how they are caring about connecting with people in power. This is a fierce book. You cannot offer excuses to John. And yet, the book of Revelation is a hopeful book as well. Alongside the apocalyptic language, we hear repeated affirmations that, yes, one day all will be made new, all will be set right. Springs and rivers of living water are mentioned throughout the text. They will pour forth with a refreshing abundance. That is the promise. A new heaven and a new earth, a shining city, will be our home. Indeed, every tear will be wiped away. These words are in this text alongside words about struggle. John doesn't want us to pretend that the world as it is is an easy place. In fact, he wants us to fight against the world as it is, power and privilege set up as they are. There is much to resist. And the book of Revelation is full of the struggle and resistance. Yet alongside the struggle, we get the following words. Words that remind us that the great ordeal is not the end of the story. More is promised. God is still speaking. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. From Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked... And there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white, and where have they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God and worship God day and night within the temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Most Wednesday mornings, I get together for breakfast with a small group of clergywomen from various churches and denominations. This past week, a fellow Presbyterian pastor, Caitlin, shared with me the story of Anne, a 91-year-old who had recently died in her congregation. Anne was a lifelong member devoted to the church, regularly coming for worship in various other ministries throughout the week. Caitlin saw Anne often and knew her well, but what Caitlin didn't realize, what many other church members didn't realize was that in all of her decades of church attendance, Anne would never cross the threshold of the church without an item to donate to the food pantry. Whether it was Sunday or Saturday or Wednesday, when Anne came through the church doors, she made sure she was carrying a canned food for donation. This habit was so ingrained into her life that when Ann stopped driving a few years ago and her daughters started to bring her to church, those daughters knew they had to factor a trip to Kroger into the commute plan. If they were running short on time, they'd call Ann up and say, Mom, I'm going to be running a little bit short, so I need to run by the store before I come and get you. What would you like me to pick up? And Ann would tell them. For Ann, it was never a choice whether or not to bring a can of food. She had made that decision long ago. She would not enter the church doors without at least one can swinging from her arm in a plastic Kroger bag. When another member of the congregation heard this story at Anne's funeral, this woman started thinking about her own family, especially her five-year-old daughter. She shared with Caitlin that Anne's example had made her wonder about the habits of her own spiritual life. And she'd started to wonder if there were habits she could start sharing with her daughter right now, sharing with her regularly, devotionally, until they became second nature to the five-year-old and to her own self. Anne's legacy continues. On this All Saints Sunday... We will list out those church members who have died over the past year. Some of us will hear these names with a lump in our throat or a tear in our eyes as we remember how a loved one's legacy continues to shape us. Yet as we hear these words from Revelation and mold them over, we also remember those whose names are known only to God those who across the years have practiced thousands of small devotional habits, unseen, unnamed. We all have habits that get us through our days. The button we push on the coffee machine first thing in the morning, the aisles we immediately go to in the grocery store, the app we automatically open on our phones, we all have habits that shape our everyday lives. I wonder how many of our habits revolve around God. I wonder how many of our daily decisions involve our devotional life. We are in the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, which Alec talked about last Sunday. We are in stewardship season. And so this makes me wonder what will we be remembered for as a congregation? What is our individual legacy in our everyday lives? And what is our legacy as a community in downtown Richmond? What will people celebrate about us in 50 years, let alone 500 years? What legacy are we creating that will witness to the work of God in the world, even after each of us have died and the walls we're standing within have crumbled to the ground? Revelation takes this legacy seriously. A great multitude, knowing no limits of language or race or nationality, gathers in the presence of the Holy Lamb. This vast, multicultural multitude of witnesses and worshipers have made it through the struggle, and now they sing and rejoice. What I love about Scripture is that the words we receive in the Bible— often have emerged from intimate letters and stories shared between generations and communities until eventually, after hundreds or thousands of years, they were shared across regions and languages, gathering wisdom and revelation as they went. In a time when Christians only numbered perhaps a couple thousand in the whole world, John of Patmos, the writer of Revelation, could probably picture many of the people who would read and hear his words, at least at first. He probably knew some of their background and was inspired or frustrated by their example. Perhaps when John wrote about the great multitude in his vision who would find comfort and joy at last in God's presence, perhaps he was even picturing people he had known, people whom he had loved, and lost. Scriptures do not promise that life will be easy, yet they do promise that in the midst of challenges, we are not alone. They do promise that we are accompanied by the one who knows suffering all too well. They do promise that in God, ultimately, every life will be cherished, Every life will be celebrated, that those who hunger and thirst will be satisfied, and that those without a home will finally rest their head with a happy sigh. Another story. Perhaps you've heard me or someone else tell the story behind our last hymn, When Peace Like a River, also known as It Is Well With My Soul, This is a popular hymn that was written by Horatio Spafford, a Presbyterian layman in the 1870s. In 1871, Horatio lost his successful business to a fire and his youngest son to pneumonia. Then, two years later, Horatio sent his wife and their four young daughters across the ocean on a ship for vacation. He was planning on joining them soon. But while at sea, a terrible accident happened. Two ships collided, and the Spafford's ship sank in 12 minutes. The four daughters died. Only Anna, the mother, survived. And when she got to land, she sent a telegraph to Horatio that said, Saved alone. Horatio left to join Anna, and midway across the Atlantic, one of the ship's men pointed to the spot where the accident had occurred. And there, on that spot, on a ship, in the middle of the sea, Horatio started writing the hymn that we will sing. A hymn which includes words, when sorrows like sea billows roll, what more can be said than to you God hath said, it is well, it is well with my soul these words that will fill our sanctuary space in a little bit, these words do not come from some easy, entertaining moment of inspiration. Horatio Spafford wrote this song from the depths of a great ordeal, with a heart that was wrecked from a spirit that had had to work out the muscles of faith countless times. When crisis came, when the struggle became all too real, when his world crashed down around his head, Horatio still somehow found a way to witness to the abiding presence of God and to leave a legacy for our worship today. One last story. And this is a story from outside of the church. And it it is a story that is unfolding right now. Last year, -year 32-year-old Philando Castile was killed by a police officer at a routine traffic stop in Minnesota. Because we've seen this situation play out many times before, because we know the politics around the situation, we can probably all recite the ways that Philando then was publicly described by the police officer and the lawyers and the pundits in the aftermath of the shooting. What was not talked about much, at least not on the national media circuits or national radio shows, was the quiet legacy of kindness that Philando Castile had been creating in his everyday work in his local school district. Philando was the cafeteria nutrition supervisor at J.J. Hill, a public school in St. Paul. All the students knew and loved Mr. Phil, and he cared for them He knew their names and their dietary needs, and sometimes even their financial struggles. At J.J. Hill, there was and is a free lunch program. But many kids in the school district, about 2,000 last year, aren't eligible for the program because they don't meet the welfare-poverty cutoff, although they still struggle to afford the lunch. When Philando would see this, when he'd see these elementary students worried about money and food, Mr. Phil was known to slip the students a lunch anyway, often paying for the meal out of his own pocket. After he was killed, a fund went up called Philando Feeds the Children. The creator, a local community college professor, said, Philando's death changed who I am. Her goal was to continue his work and cover the cost of some school lunches. It takes about $400 a year to cover one student for lunch. She hoped to raise $5,000. This past month, the fund reached over $93,000, nearly 20 times the goal. Just two weeks ago, the St. Paul School District officials announced that the money would be used to eliminate all lunch debt across the entire school district. Thanks to Mr. Phil's witness, every student could now have a lunch debt-free. One day, we will live in a world where Philando's life will matter before he is killed. One day, we'll live in a world where Ann's small acts of devotion will be treasured as much as a corporate stock price. One day we'll live in a world where parents will not have to grieve the tragic death of their children. We cry out to God for that day to come, and we do rejoice in the anticipation of that day. But we are not there yet. Christ is with us now, but we are not yet at the day promised in the Psalms and Revelation. And so the question becomes for our lives right now, in the meantime, what legacy are we building? What witness are we sharing? Both individually and as a church, what choices and commitments are we making in order to shape the world more in line with the kingdom of heaven? In the end, if something happened to us, Us personally, us as a church tomorrow. Will someone pay off lunch school debt or stock a food pantry or resist authoritarian empires or grieve with the dying or stand alongside welfare students or sing a song of faith in our name or in the name of our church? On this All Saints Day, let us listen to these three stories, but let us not stop there. Let's allow these stories to shape our lives even now. Let's let these legacies continue to guide us and give us direction of where to go next. May these stories remind us of other stories, of other legacies that are unfolding among us even now. Let's look around and reflect together on the witness that we are sharing as a people of God. Let us look and pause and contemplate and give great shouts of praise because the Holy One is not finished with us yet. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy One, we are worshipers and we are your witnesses. Our story unfolds within your abiding care and presence. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we pray that our legacy might follow in your footsteps and in their footsteps. Take us, Lord, renew us, and bring us into the joyful work of your spirit today. In your holy name we pray, amen.